0: Today's episode of The Dairy Show is sponsored by MedGene Labs. Today is a new day in animal health care, and MedGene is shining bright. MedGene has been a key innovator in the field of platform vaccine technology. MedGene enables veterinarians to put platform vaccines to work for the animals in their care. Swine, cattle, and companion animals all stand to benefit. It's time to talk MedGene it's a new day in animal health care. Learn more at MedGeneLabs.com, or better yet, follow MedGene on LinkedIn. From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. As a kid, I remember lining up in school and reporting to the gymnasium for our vaccinations. Through aggressive vaccination programs, we have in the United States all but stamped out diseases like measles, mumps, and polio. But even as we've achieved success after years of fighting these pathogens, new challenges present all the time. COVID brought about the need for a rapid response to develop immunity in the world's human population. And ever-morphing viruses keep people like today's guest on their toes as they try to stay one step ahead of the pathogens in a war to keep animals and people on this planet healthy and immune to the ravages of disease. Ladies and gentlemen, today we welcome to The Dairy Show, Dr. Alan Young. Dr. Young has made his life's work. Immunology, he is on the front lines fighting those diseases that wreak havoc with the world's population, specifically the dairy population. Dr. Young, welcome to The Dairy Show. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in this animal health industry?
1: Sure. I'm happy to. I I originally grew up in a dairy community in southwestern Ontario in Canada. And when I went to university, I had an opportunity to get involved very early with a what was then a relatively new field of immunology, which says something about my age. And as an undergraduate, I participated in some research looking at the immune system of sheep and comparative immunology of ruminants. And I was just hooked. And so after that, I proceeded to did my PhD there, and then I had the opportunity to move to Europe for about six years at a research institute, where I was the head of the ruminant immunology lab, When we are looking at how antibodies and and the immune system develops in those animals. Bounced around a little bit with a brief period on faculty at Harvard before I eventually moved my family to South Dakota where I've been on faculty at South Dakota State since 2001. I am a full professor there in addition to my work at MedGene, which we'll talk about in a second. But spent about 10 years working on mad cow disease before I flipped to working on vaccines with a large research group. And we were particularly looking at targeting what were called foreign animal diseases for ruminants and cattle, and specifically. And so, shortly after that, in 2011, I was fortunate to have a group of investors interested in commercializing and bringing this technology to use in the field. And so we started up MedGene. MedGene is focused on using what we call platform technologies, which are rapidly adaptable vaccine platforms to use new regulations that were brought in over the, the last five or six years by the USDA so that we can get these vaccines out of the market. And so that's I I now split my time between being the chief technology officer at MedGene, as well as being a university professor and working in our vet school at South Dakota State University.
0: Before we talk about platform vaccines, because I'm very curious to know more about them, tell us about traditional modes of developing a vaccine. You know, in years past, it took years, years of research and, and many, many dollars to bring a vaccine to market. Can you describe that? previous process and how platform vaccines are kind of revolutionizing that, please.
1: Traditionally, vaccines use one of two technologies. The most common that, that people are familiar with up till now has been to take the actual virus or bacteria and either weaken it in some way or kill it. And use that as the primary vaccine. The very first vaccine, the smallpox vaccine, was an example of this. We used a strain of the smallpox bacteria, which infected cattle, but not humans as much. And that was what we were injecting people with in order to get the smallpox protection. And it worked very, very well, as we know, because we eradicated smallpox. What happened starting about the time I was in grad school is we started to realize that the whole... Bug itself is not necessary. And so what we could then do is we could focus on just the aspects of the bug that were necessary to provide protection. And so flu is a classic example of that. We have influenza vaccines, and the the, the common influenza vaccine that you get every year is an influenza virus that has grown up in eggs. It is either killed or weakened, um, usually killed. And then that's what we get as our influenza vaccine. But for a, Those are kind of a unique example because most vaccines take, as you said, years to get to market because of this. So in the animal health industry, I can tell you from experience that a traditional vaccine typically takes five plus years to get to market and millions of dollars in investment. And so the disadvantage of that is that things like influenza or coronaviruses or some of the other viruses that afflict animals, are like rotaviruses, are rapidly changing. And so by the time you get your product to market, the chances are that whatever your vaccine is addressing is no longer relevant. So what platform vaccines do is they take advantage of that detail I said, where we started to realize that we could look at the pathogen and look at one target. And that target was all we needed, that one protein. The rest of it is irrelevant. And so influenza, going back to that example, or COVID, we realized that for coronaviruses, it's this thing called the spike protein. For influenza, it's this thing called the hemagglutinin molecule, and that's all you really need. And so with our new molecular technologies, what we can do is we could just address that single protein and use it for protection. Now, traditional vaccines would still require that to take years. But what the USDA did was they recognized that because we could use what they're called a platform like a Keurig machine, which is fully certified that we could then hot swap out. So the example we always use is a Keurig machine. Somebody built that Keurig machine or that coffee pod maker, so I don't get into trouble in the first place. And they went through all of the engineering and trial to build that. And then somebody else figured out how to make those pods that make the individual type of coffee. What the USDA said is if you go through all of the process to fully license and demonstrate your ability to make that one vaccine and that one coffee machine, then we will let you swap out those pods and address things much faster. What that means is instead of it taking us five years, at least five to 10 years to make a new vaccine, we now do that in a matter of weeks and under a fully regulated environment. So that's really what sped us up. And I will say that the other example people will have is the COVID vaccine because the COVID vaccine was accelerated in terms of a lot of those regulatory steps, but it's important to remember that the company, particularly Moderna, that had developed this actually was working on this back in 2001 for another coronavirus, the SARS coronavirus. So when this event happened, they were very well prepared to drop that into their platform and get it at the door. The difference is the FDA doesn't have the same sort of regulatory platform that the USDA has that allows us to rapidly address these things.
0: Here in the U.S., I know we enjoy a remarkably safe food supply and the same can be said of our drug industry we trust because it's so highly regulated and can the same be said internationally and I guess I'm curious how much sharing goes on and how much of that is patent protected and, and siloed so I, I understand it's a money-making business and the first one to get there with the vaccine wins so how much information is shared and how much is siloed in the immunology business?
1: Well, I have a foot in both camps, right? Academia as well as commercial. Academia we share freely. More and more universities are attempting to patent protect and sometimes we run into that where we're looking at whether we can address some kind of a pathogen because there might be a pre-existing patent which a competitor may hold license over so that we can't get at it. But frequently with the current patent rules, subunit vaccines and platform vaccines like these are well designed to, basically it's it. What we use is the native DNA coming out of the organism. And so that is very difficult for anybody to patent these days. And so that allows us a certain amount of freedom to operate. Now, what is unique, and I give the USDA credit for this, is that the regulations that we operate under these prescription platform regulations that are the core of our business and our ability to get these vaccines out very rapidly and very specifically are unique to the usda right now other countries are looking at variations of that but they have not yet brought them in the 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 core philosophy behind the usda on these regs and i can't stress this enough it goes back to what you said is safety. There are regulations about how we make these vaccines that make them exceedingly safe. They're a killed product. There is nothing live in it. It's just protein, which we eat every day, every time you have a steak or every time you drink a glass of milk. And so the recognition that basically do no harm as the first thing, as as the first aspect of it, the recognition that that's there as part of these regulations. Now we're working with the Canadian government now trying to get these regulations and our vaccines into Canada. There's a need for some of them that we have are addressing, but internationally, there's, there's a variation and obviously I'm not going to throw countries under the bus, but the, the regulations behind vaccines are somewhat country specific. And so we all know certain areas that tend to be a little bit more like the wild west for lack of a better phrase.
0: Well, I think a marvelous thing that you're pushing for newer, faster ways to respond to emerging diseases, because I feel like for the sake of safety, and and we can all appreciate the protocols that we've observed in the past, but my goodness, I feel like with the rapidly evolving diseases that are out there. This is giving us a fighting chance to keep our herd healthy. And so just wanted to back up, I guess, and and talk about that. How do you, when there are so many different pathogens that you could choose from, how do you select the ones that you're going to target and then develop a vaccine against? A
1: couple of points on that. Firstly, obviously, it's customer need. It's what is industry lacking, where the needs of industry is the the primary concern when we're looking at something as a, a new development. It's kind of important for people to understand that while the regulations that allow us to technologically apply the way we're doing things are relatively new, the science behind it has been around since I was an undergrad in 1985. And so we have a lot of background science that we can draw on, that we can apply to what we're actually doing, that these new regulations have opened up our ability to actually do. I, I think probably the best way to answer about how you choose is to give you a couple of examples that are not actually cattle specific. We do obviously get that, but where we have been responsive to different areas. The first is I, as a result of my background with prions, had a whole strong interaction with the white deer farming community in the United States. And as part of our early efforts, we recognized there was a great need for a vaccine against this thing called epizootic hemorrhagic disease, which is what it sounds like. It's a fatal disease of deer. And so with partnership from the, the Department of Homeland Security, we actually developed that and we have that vaccine. We've made it available for about the last four years to the whitetail deer farming community. And it's something that they were demanding and something that they desperately needed. And the USDA worked with us to make that available to that community. Similarly, during COVID, you'll see this if you'll do any looking at us, we were in a conversation with the USDA about the potential for COVID infection of companion animals and of other species like mink. And at the same time, there was an outbreak of rabbit hemorrhagic disease, not a related virus, but a similar disease syndrome of, of rabbits. And people with pet rabbits were very, very concerned there was no U.S. licensed vaccine, but it was one that we could target. We realized that from the science. And so in a period of about 14 to 15 months, which was our first product under that pathway, we were able to get that out under emergency use authorization. And as of last year, we have a conditional license on that with our assumption that we will have a full license, hopefully by the end of this year or early next year. And that has been quite successful in distribution and proven efficacious by the USDA. And and so those are systems where there's clearly a request and a need to have something available to serve the needs of the industry or the individuals rotavirus c for the swine industry and influenza d for the dairy industry or the cattle industry and papillomavirus are other examples where industry came to us and asked us if there was something that we could do because of a lack of existing efficacious products on the market so that that's pretty much how we go about it.
0: And how often do those pathogens mutate and, and evolve? How frequently are you updating your vaccines to keep pace?
1: Some of them are quite consistent. So there's a, a secondary strain of hemorrhagic disease, for example, that is now coming into the U.S., but it's not particularly concerning. Papillomavirus, there's several strains of papillomavirus, but they don't change a whole lot. Things like rotavirus and coronaviruses, they change a lot. And so That is part of our business model, and I'm going to try and get not too deep into the weeds here, but part of what we learned when we were developing this technology is that we had to have a very comprehensive surveillance system for data, so we actually have our own very large system for data mining, for lack of a better phrase, what is happening in the field and keeping track of these new and evolving strains of these different viruses, We put those into a database that we have and we've also, and this is beyond me, but I've got smarter people than me who run this for us, use computer modeling to determine whether or not a specific new strain or a new sequence or something of influenza or rotavirus or coronavirus will be addressed by one of our vaccines that we already have made. So we're good to go and we can do that. Or if it's something we need a new vaccine in order to address. And what that's allowed us to do is we can still meet the individual needs if a, if a producer comes to us and says, I want specifically a vaccine targeting this specific virus from my farm. We can do that. It'll take six or months or so. But what we have now is a very large library that we can tap into and go back to that producer and say, hey, I know you just got hit with this one, but I can tell you that this is the the... These are the strains that are circulating now in your area or in the U.S. And we have these five or four or five or six different strains in our vaccine. We recommend you use this general a vaccine, and if you still want us to do the other one, that's fine. But this will get you started, and this will have you going. And so that that's kind of how we do it. And there's it, there's a lot of working parts behind the curtain <laughs> that other people smarter than me have done.
0: I know your research and your vaccines address the domestic game species as well as production animals and companion animals, and I guess I have a question about that. So your elk and your white-tailed deer. When you think about it, I mean, I, I'm from Wisconsin, so we know that our dairy herd commingled with the white-tail population. That's that was a foregone thought. You're gonna vaccinate for those crossover diseases, but. I guess I'm curious, how do you contain a disease that can be carried by wild species? Is is that something that that you could touch on today?
1: Wild animals are a, a whole other challenge from an administration standpoint. So the first thing I will tell you, as much as I, I'm an immunologist and I love to talk about vaccines, first thing is biosecurity. So we talk about having high fences in an area where it's endemic, trying to keep nose-to-nose contact to a minimum and, and keep that under control. The second really has to do with control of that disease transmission. A lot of people think that vaccines are supposed to, to put you in a plastic bubble and nothing can touch you. And it's, I, I've got a slide that I use, which is a picture from The Matrix with Neo holding his hand up. That's not really what vaccines are intended to do. Vaccines are a public health and a herd health mechanism designed to shut down the transmission and the spread of the disease by having a large number of protected individuals within that. So obviously vaccination is a strategy of the herd, particularly of those agents that can come from animals, uh, wild animals. So in your case, yes, obviously the white-tailed deer, the elk, the wild ruminants that are out there would be the the example of that. You look at what diseases may be in that herd, and you make sure that your own herd is vaccinated to protect against that particular disease. The other thing you can do is you can attack how those diseases spread. So one of the things that that our company has done and focused on is a technology to address, for example, what we call vector-borne diseases or tick-borne diseases, for lack of a better thing. Everybody knows about Lyme disease, but anaplasmosis is a disease transmitted by ticks. There are a number of other ones out there. And it's possible to actually vaccinate to attack the tick itself and then slow down the spread of disease. And so we do have a program of, of this sort of vaccination as well to shut down the spread of these diseases that are spread from animal animal by ticks. So it's a combination of biosecurity, appropriately controlling the potential for disease transmission through remediation for ticks and vectors and things like that in hand with vaccination. And that that's really the approach that you use. But as part of that, we have to know not only what's in the agricultural animals, but what's in the wildlife community. And that's been one positive effect of COVID infecting the white deer community is we're now getting a fairly good picture of what is in wild ruminants simply by our surveillance approaches towards looking at COVID in the white deer population
0: you'd have developed specific cattle vaccines under the platform vaccine category. And you started to touch on that earlier before I kind of rerouted you. You're working directly with veterinarians, I take it, who are saying we were seeing a, a prevalence of this. Can you address it? Is that, am I correct? Is that kind of how this pathway works?
1: Yes, it is. So we are regulated under what's called the prescription platform guidelines. And by the name itself, you realize that this actually is a prescription that comes from the the veterinarian with the veterinary client-patient relationship with the herd. And and I like to say what it really does is it puts the total control of the vaccine strategies in the hands of the veterinarian. I've talked a lot about our, our rapid response, but the other aspect of this pathway is that we can formulate vaccines addressing the combinations that they actually are looking for to limit dosages, to limit the number of shots that you have to give and get that out. So we have a combination for respiratory, bovine respiratory disease. We've got combinations for uh, intestinal diarrhea, for example, that we put together, which are unique from the commercial vaccines that are currently available different strains and different combinations. Papillomavirus is another one. Now I know the dairy community, the big one is obviously mastitis. We don't have anything specifically for that, but we're working on it.
0: Rotavirus with scouring in calves, are you vaccinating the dams to provide immunity or is it actually calfhood vaccinations that you're producing?
1: What we've seen, so our rotavirus started, our, our first license was in swine. So we've got a fair amount of experience with rotavirus in their swine communities. And what we're seeing in the swine is that vaccinating the sows and the gilts with a pre-ferro vaccination gets the immunity into the, the pigs and gets them through that particular susceptibility stage. With the cattle, I believe we're still going after the dams. And the the trick will be to look at exactly the right time to vaccinate the calves as well in order to provide protection. But based on our work with the swine, we're seeing transfer into the colostrum and the milk of the antibodies for our vaccine. We think we're seeing indications of that. I should be careful. And so I think that that probably would be a safe bet for the the dairy side as well.
0: The prescription platform vaccines, that has to be revolutionizing the availability and the affordability of vaccines nationwide, doesn't it?
1: Definitely the availability because of the nature of the the platform guidelines, yes. The guidelines that they have means that we can make things against fairly prevalent or very, very specific agents if they're needed. So papillomavirus was a fairly narrow market, but we're actually seeing more uptake of that one in the cattle community than we would actually expect. Uh, We are the first company to be licensed for this in cattle, so we'll see how the, the thing goes in terms of affordability. Yes, it depends obviously on how many different targets you put in a single dose, uh, things like that. As you may imagine, when you're starting to load up, that's where it comes. But we're trying to be price competitive. And quite honestly, I'm the, the science guy, not the business guy.
0: Well, you've got your hands full with just the science of it. It is a remarkable development in the world of immunology. And it's it's new. I guess hats off to you for bringing this research to the forefront and for Developing it for the production animals, for the dairy animals, Dr. Young, that's something that I think we talked about earlier. I know in in my career, we've worked with different companies too to develop, well, pharmaceutical products for the dairy industry. And oftentimes, the the companies that you're working with will say that they're pulling back on the, the production animals and investing more fully in the companion animal again, chasing where the the market and the the dollars are. And that seems like a real threat to the dairy industry, but but Medgene and you are are investing in production animals. And for that, we're very grateful.
1: Thank you. I mean, obviously we're in an agricultural center in Brookings, South Dakota. So that was always our primary focus. And that's the focus of what the, the research has been on. The companion animals, when there's a need, like our HDV, for example, that's something that we will obviously pursue. But the bread and butter of the company, when we started was production food animals
0: the difference that platform vaccines can make in the cow health for dairy producers it's it's obvious as you stated immunology getting that herd immunized so that they are well not in a bubble but able to ward off threats how do you see that improving the health of the US dairy herd as as platform vaccines and as different strains are being addressed than would typically be seen in a vaccination program?
1: I guess probably the the place to start with that would be that for the first time, we can actually devise proactive rather than responsive approaches. And I know that the, the process of vaccination as a producer is designed to be proactive. But as I've already said, the limitation is that traditional vaccine approaches take years to make it to market. So frequently, it's responding to things that have already moved on which is a challenge. Traditionally in the past, the approach that producers have had to use is the autogenous market where you isolate the bug off of your own farm, send it into a company, they grow it, kill it, put it in a bottle and send it back to you and you use that. But the limitations of that are that your assumption is that what hit you last week is the same thing that's going to hit you in four months when you start vaccinating, which also doesn't happen as we all know. And so what we are able to do by our our surveillance plan and by seeing what's out there is develop this library based on what's happening at this minute. And ultimately, our goal is to start looking proactively and see what's potentially coming in. So we proactively are already looking at what's circulating in Canada, what's circulating in Mexico, what is a potential danger that's going to come in. and And then we make the backbone, we call them our master constructs, that allows us, if that happens, to respond and have that available to the industry when it comes in. One thing I would like to differentiate as far as the platform, because this comes up frequently, we talked about this a lot, and because of COVID, everybody assumes the platform means RNA or DNA technology that's injectable. We are not. We're, the immune system recognizes protein at its heart. The purpose of mRNA and DNA vaccines is in order to get the animal itself to produce the protein We don't. We produce the protein in our uh, production facilities, kill it, and then the protein is what goes into the bottle and that's what goes out the door, which means we have much greater control over not only the quantity that the immune system is seeing, but also the structure, which is very important to make sure that not only is it the right protein, but it's the right shape. It's mimicking that of the natural pathogen so that we know it's actually going to provoke the correct immune response. So taken together, what I see happening with the prescription is we actually have the ability to get ahead of this and potentially start to shut down some of these diseases that are recurring problems in the industry by getting ahead of them.
0: If we could eradicate mastitis pathogens, if we could eradicate scours, if they could be like the likes of measles, mumps, and polio, that would be a true feather in your hat. But again, thank you for the remarkable research that you're carrying out and the ongoing research and development that you are plowing into the health of the U.S. dairy herd. Thank you for being our guest here on on The Dairy Show today.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. We hope that we can make a difference in the industry. That's ultimately our goal.
0: Today's episode of The Dairy Show is sponsored by MedGene Labs. Today is a new day in animal health care, and MedGene is shining bright. MedGene has been a key innovator in the field of platform vaccine technology. MedGene enables veterinarians to put platform vaccines to work for the animals in their care. Swine, cattle, and companion animals all stand to benefit. It's time to talk MedGene. It's a new day in animal health care. Learn more at MedGeneLabs.com or, better yet, follow MedGene on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you.